1: I'm gonna buy a home, I want a home. I don't want to live
2: oh, yeah. and have to deal with neighbors. Uh, but you're gonna have to deal with a mortgage. Yeah, you either deal with neighbors, you deal with a mortgage, and it, FHA is only a one year living requirement, right? So a lot of people, the single family dream has been pushed to folks, but um, the American dream is just rock people to sleep. It's actually the American nightmare. Everything they tell you to do in the American dream is to rock you to sleep. Everything they tell you to do, go to college. Who gets paid off that student loan interest? The government. They say go get a high paying job. Who gets paid? Takes their money off the top, the government. Then they say, "Go get a single family home." Who do you have to pay property taxes to? The government. Everything they told you to do in the American Dream was so that they could get paid. My graduates from my school, being Forbes backdrop, backdrop, <laughs> a mic drop,
1: backdrop, backdrop. guys welcome back EYL this is uh you know we've been on the road for a very long period of time so this is the first time in a while that we actually shoot an episode
0: feel good to be old yeah yeah yeah, (laughs) for sure so
1: this is one of these episodes that um right up our alley as far as like how we started with um information like we pick a topic and then we just get an expert in the in the field and give a lot of gems and information that's kind of been our blueprint since the beginning and um we haven't done a real estate episode in a long time.
0: Yeah, we've been relegated to our boy, MG. Yeah, yeah. Shout out, rightfully so. Yeah. now nah, shout out to Matt. He's killing the
1: game. Make sure you check out Ransom Jim's podcast on EYO Network. Top real estate podcast in the game. If we don't um, say so ourselves. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but, you know, we talk about stocks all the time, obviously, Market Mondays. Um, but, once again, you know, we haven't spoken about real estate in a while. And real estate yeah. is the cornerstone, one of the cornerstones for building wealth in this country and all over the world. So... I say that to say, thought it would be a perfect time to get back on the real estate side of things. We so, got a guy. Yes, we, we do. Got a guy. So, Julian Gordon, I'm sure you're already familiar with him because he's been killing the game for a while online, social media. He's actually been at InvestFest. He was at InvestFest. Yeah, Fest. he
0: wasn't just at InvestFest. He had a moment. <laughs> 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 Everybody yeah. stand up right now. <laughs> <laughs> that was classic. That was a moment. That, that was a classic. Moment.
1: <laughs> so, if he was at InvestFest, you saw that. Um, and then he's been on with the family, uh, Ransom Gems and Ash Cash. So Julian is interesting because you know a lot of people talk about real estate, but everybody has different niches. So his thing is multi-family homes.
0: Yeah, yeah, Mister Multi-family himself. Yes, yes. So I'm he, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, <sir>. yes. <laughs> So
1: he actually is the head of the multi-family uh, movement. So. He has a program and I believe his students have over 4,000 students and they have a total of 262 closings, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Of multifamily homes. Mm-hmm. 140 closings this year. Matt always says, because I know Matt does a lot of um, financing he was like, yo, these people in this group is crazy. Like they hit me, <laughs> they, they hit me every day nonstop. But that's a good thing I mean if they're out hunting for deals, they're hungry. Mm-hmm. So what he does is he teaches people about not just how to buy real estate, but specifically multifamily mm-hmm. yeah. homes. And multifamily homes is something that is extremely important, especially like where we live in the northeast. Um, but really different pockets all over the country. Um and MG has spoken about multifamily homes before uh actually when he first came on the podcast yep. that was his whole strategy as far as you know get a multi-family and have positive cash flow and things of that nature so we're gonna have a really interesting dope conversation about real estate multi-family homes and i'm sure it'll be a lot of gems dropped so first and foremost have. thank you for joining us brother appreciate Glad it to be here thank yeah. you for the invitation did, did, we, miss,
0: did we miss the amount of, of of funds that have been generated from the students Sixty-two um, million. Something yeah, like that? it's
2: about sixty-two million. If you, uh, if the average each property is about three hundred thousand, yeah, we up there. So actually, seventy-five. Since that number, I need to update that number. We're at seventy-five million in real estate acquired Whew. in two years. <laughs> don't let that go over your head. Please don't.
1: Yeah. So all right, let's get into this. I want to get into details, nitty gritty. But before I start, I just want to give an overview of how did you get to this point? Because I actually just found out something that you was in one of the most prestigious business you graduated from one of the most prestigious business schools of all Stanford University Um, Mm -hmm. so I would assume that originally you was on like a business path maybe even tech path because a lot of people go to Stanford that so what made you get into real estate?
2: Yeah so um, I went into business school because I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur um, but And when you look at business school and what actually comes out of it, you see a lot of people actually escaping the corporate plantation, going to business school and then ending it back up on the corporate plantation at a higher pay. And so it wasn't actually training entrepreneurs. Stanford happened to be the most entrepreneurial business school out there. So that's why I chose Stanford. Um, But everything that I've learned about business um, that has allowed me to create the wealth that I have today. Uh, didn't come from Stanford it didn't come from the marketing class there it didn't come from the finance class there uh, it came through actually reinvesting back into my own education and my own mind uh, through coaches consultants and things of that nature after but my real estate journey actually starts with my mom um, uh, she was a doctor anesthesiologist and um, she had a good paying job she was following the American dream and uh, she ended up with a mental health issue not anything to her fault whatsoever. And uh that mental health issue caused her to lose her license. And once the one single income stream evaporated, then she couldn't pay the mortgage on the home that we had in Oakland. That home today is worth $1.8 million. Mm-hmm. And so when I saw somebody who did everything that they were supposed to do actually lose it all um, because they were relying on one stream of income, uh, even though it was a high stream of income, uh, that made me choose a different path and so in college i read rich dad poor dad like many people did mm-hmm. and i knew immediately not only from my own mom's story but from that book that my first property was not going to be a single family home that it'd be a multi-family home and so i purchased my first multi-family home uh in brooklyn it was a triplex 2013 and the moment i went from paying expensive rent in brooklyn to being paid expensive rent, in the <laughs> game was over and so um you know as i, I started trying to Go deeper into the game buying another property in Brooklyn was challenging because I used FHA for that first property but the next one will require 25% down and when you have <laughs> properties that are a million dollars 25% down is gonna be a quarter million so um, I decided to scale my portfolio by investing um, outside of Brooklyn and that's how I found the New Orleans market and uh, From there, I just doubled down and continued to scale my portfolio, eventually moving down to New Orleans and things of that nature. So,
0: yeah, I I was wondering because, like, a lot of people will start in real estate, they don't have the funding. So, FHA was the route you did for your first triplex? Correct.
2: So, three and a half percent down. At that time, the property was like 700,000. So, uh, it wasn't major money uh, mm-hmm. i did have to save i did have to discipline myself in order to save that but um i made that payment and then from there i haven't had a housing expense since may of 2013. how many how, how many houses do you own now i have 40 units uh okay. 16 buildings 40 units but that's just my personal portfolio so 40 doors right yeah 40 doors yeah i
1: put a post up i think like 100 doors 100 a thousand, shares, a thousand shares. That's a, our new club. Yeah, a thousand shares, a hundred doors. That's yeah. something that. So you own halfway there.
2: Yeah, halfway there, yeah. and then you add in my portion of the other funds. I'm um, probably around eighty when you add in those as well. We just closed on a uh, thirty-six unit in Scotlandville and in, in Baton Rouge. So, um, yeah, so continuing to scale up. Congratulations. Appreciate that.
1: Um, all right, so let's get into some questions. Um, so, the biggest thing for that stops people from buying real estate is money. Yeah, you know, well, we'll talk about mindset also, but money is definitely a big thing and financing. But there are different programs, especially you know when we're talking about multifamily homes. So yeah, we we'll want to talk about a few. Um, one that we have not covered yet, which is NACA. Yeah. Um, can you talk about NACA a little bit?
2: Man, NACA is amazing. Um, <laughs> NACA is amazing, but uh, it's two sides of the coin. Um, you'll hear people say NACA is amazing; those who have closed, and then you'll hear other people say NACA is not amazing, yeah. right? So, um, NACA is really really powerful because it's zero percent down. <laughs> no closing costs, no points or fees, et cetera, and extremely low interest rates. And uh, the key to winning at NACA is making sure that your counselor is solid. If your counselor's not solid, then it's going to be a difficult journey for you. And then it's also your persistence. You have to stay on that person. You actually have to lead your counselor to get to the finish line. So if you're just going to sit back and think that some program is literally going to give you a home for nothing and you don't actually put any effort, uh, it's going to be a hard road for you. So I've had many people close uh, through my program. See, NACA does the financing, but they don't teach you how to find the deal or how to finalize the deal. Financing is actually the easiest part of the real estate game when you know about programs like NACA or FHA. So NAC uh, actually is not a program for poor people. So that's actually what keeps half the people out is because mm. they have a perception that it's for people who have low income and it's not. What's powerful about it and why people with low income are able to go through the program is because there's no credit score consideration. And that's huge like, so for no, a lot of people. No closing calls. No points of fees, no, no, points of fees. no and down payment, no credit. and no credit. So here's how they verify you. So basically, they take whatever you've been paying in rent, plus whatever you're able to prove that you can save over a three-month period. So if you're paying $1,200 a month in rent on time consistently, yeah. right, and you're able to show them that you're able to save an additional $300 a month on top of that, then they'll approve you for a mortgage of $1,500. Gotcha. So that's how they verify your ability uh, to afford the real estate. And so... NACA has two tiers of people. They have uh, priority and non-priority. So priority is anyone who um, is making uh, 80% or less of the area's AMI. So AMI is the area's median income. Mm -hmm. So those people are able to get interest rates as low as 2%. 2%. That's basically free money when you account for inflation being 6%, right? So, uh, And then uh, non-priority members who have higher incomes um, start at 3%. But then what NACA actually tells you to do is that since you're no longer paying a down payment, why don't you buy down these points, right? And so a point is a percentage of your mortgage. So if you have a mortgage of $300,000, you could pay $3,000, 1% of that, and actually buy down your interest rate. And they have tiers where their interest rates, when you pay $3,000 in advance, the bank is taking that $3,000 in advance, then your interest rate is going down by uh, probably like point one two five right mm-hmm. so you're a quarter not an eighth of a point every time you contribute three thousand so rather than putting that towards a down payment because there is none you're actually buying down points so you'll see people in NACA have interest rates that are less than one percent and so uh when you look at that over a 30-year period a d- decrease in interest rate by one percent on a three hundred thousand dollar mortgage that's going to save you sixty thousand dollars over the life of that loan
0: is there a limit that you can put into, like to the point where you're putting three thousand, putting three thousand to a point where there's 0.24 no, is the lowest you can go. Uh,
2: I think it's point two five, a quarter of a percent wow. is the lowest you can go with NACA
0: as a uh, priority. So, I, I, who qualifies for this? Is anybody eligible to qualify for NACA loans? Anybody. Wow. Anybody.
2: No it, income restriction. It's a anything. it's a government program, right? Um, no, it's actually a nonprofit. Nonprofit. It's a nonprofit that organized uh, uh, against the banks initially um, when uh, all the predatory lending happened, and um, and somehow they organized against the banks, and then got the banks to offer this amazing financing for people to kind of rectify the guilt that they had accumulated through all the predatory lending that they had done
1: mm. and but I know some. so some of the downside is like people saying like it takes a long time and it's like tedious process right
2: yeah so um, the best way to approach NACA is actually to do your savings and actually have all your documentation in advance so if I've been able to prove that I've been saving this particular amount in advance of actually applying for the program and my appointment then I hit the ground running mm. but if I start without any financial discipline in advance and then have to go through the process of demonstrating that I can save this amount of money for this particular mortgage, that's gonna take me an additional amount of time in order to qualify and get pre-approved by them. So it's just coming uh, to the table with your financial house in order first, and that accelerates the process for folks.
0: Okay. How many t- how many times can you actually use a NACA loan? Like If I do it and I pay off a home in let's say 10 years, Am I eligible to do it again, or can I have them running simultaneously? How does it work? No,
2: NACA, uh, NACA expects you to live in the home for the life of the loan, but that is a minimum of five-year living requirement. So FHA is only a one-year living requirement, mm-hmm. and NACA is a five-year, but they actually desire you to live in that home for the life of the loan. So NACA is not a play where you can run several times. FHA, there mm-hmm. are... Some hidden ways, some secret ways (laughs) to use FHA twice. We've heard, we've heard. (laughs) Yeah, to use FHA twice, but NACA, uh, likely not. And so if you want to scale your portfolio beyond NACA after you use NACA, you're actually going to have to refinance once you're out of this amazing interest rate, right, to go conventional to free you up to be able to go use one of the other loan programs or go conventional and scale your portfolio up. So You can um,
0: refinance after five years?
2: Um, yeah, okay. after five years, gotcha. they actually hold a, a second lien position on you for that five years mm-hmm. to make sure that you stay in the property and you're not house hacking through them. Yeah. Um, so yeah,' uh, five years, but you're in order to refinance, you're going to need your home to have be at 80 percent loan to value. Now you put zero percent down. So you either have to force that appreciation or you have to have bought so right that it has appreciated to that extent over that period of time, over that five year period.
1: Yeah, NACA is a great place. N A C A. If anybody, that's yeah. how that's how it's uh, spelled. And um, I think they have like seminars and stuff like that. Or like yeah, all the time. Yeah, so you can actually like just Google in your area. And like you said, you have a counselor. Like if you you get assigned to somebody who's working with you, yeah, and they kind of help you through the process and getting your documentation and everything in order and. You know, it's definitely beneficial for, for I've known some people that definitely have been able to purchase home through the night. Yeah, road, definitely.
2: So, so uh, Gloria, she uh, um, purchased a triplex in Brooklyn. I uh, know in Philadelphia recently. And um, all she had to come out of pocket to acquire a triplex from uh, Philadelphia was title fees. Mm. Title fees are a pair of Jordans. She got a triplex in Philadelphia for a pair of Jordans or a round trip flight from New York to Los Angeles. Like Anybody can do that, but you have to know that it's there and you have to be persistent and you have to be financially disciplined to be able to get
0: qualified through them. Ernest, what's going on? This Black History Month, McDonald's is kicking off Future 22, a campaign celebrating 22 Gen Z leaders across the country who are making an impact on their communities right now. This generation may have the largest influx of young leaders since the civil rights movement. They're starting their own organizations, finding ways to empower youth and culture, standing up and speaking out. McDonald's is showcasing their efforts and the impact they're having on the world. Ever heard of Anaya Dillard? She's an 18-year-old activist who started The Next Gen Come Up, a nonprofit that encourages activism and community service. McDonald's is sharing stories of the future 22 leaders like Anaya and more on their Instagram at WeAreGolden. Let's talk about another
1: financing program we spoke about before, but once again, it was a while ago since the last time we spoke about it. FHA loan, yeah. So I think the FHA loan is beneficial because, correct me if I'm wrong, you're able to put like three point five percent down. Correct. So talk about FHA for anybody that's not familiar with
2: FHA. Yeah. So FHA is a government program, and um, and three point five percent down on a three hundred thousand uh, dollar duplex, right? Um, is only ten thousand five hundred dollars. So where else can? What other business can you buy for ten thousand five hundred? dollars dollars that is valued at $300,000 and get financed for it within like 45 days right with minimal experience what are the business and they have it immediately cash flowing there's no other business that you can buy for $300,000 like that, that quickly. And so this is why FHA is so powerful. Um, so FHA typically requires about a 680 credit score um, to get qualified, it actually can go down, but if your credit score is below 680, then your interest rate or your down payment are going to increase on FHA. Um, there are FHA guidelines, these are federal guidelines, but lenders can stack on their own lending guidelines on top of it. So just because FHA says that the credit score minimum is 680, or uh, Other lenders may say no. We actually need a 720 in order to qualify you for that, so they can stack on their own guidelines to FHA. But FHA is um, really powerful. That's how I acquired my triplex in Brooklyn with the FHA loan. And um, the downside of FHA that people don't tell you is the PMI is the private mortgage insurance. NACA doesn't have private mortgage insurance, and so private mortgage insurance means that their their banks are literally the government is actually protecting the banks, like they've already bailed out the banks i don't know why the banks need protection but um they're protecting the banks and so there's this additional private mortgage insurance so it could be an additional uh one percent fee so again if your loan is three hundred thousand dollars one percent is three thousand dollars per year you divide that by 12 months and now you're paying an additional um additional what 250 dollars per month on your mortgage payment for this private mortgage insurance and now that pmi is actually permanent it is permanent until you refinance out. Of. Oh, it doesn't go away after 20%? It used to go away after 20%. It is now permanent until you
0: refinance out. So you said uh, if the credit score wasn't great, that the interest rate can go up from 3.5, right?
2: The, no, the down payment is the down 3.5. Payment, the interest the, rate is going to depend on a variety of things.
0: Now, depending on if you get a single family or a multifamily, with uh, those factors as well that can change the interest rate of the property, uh, of the loan?
2: No, so um, the interest rate is based on, um, so for... When I talk multi-family, yeah. I'm talking about two-family, three-family, or four-family homes. These are also known as duplexes, triplexes, or fourplexes. Yeah. So once you get to five units or more, that's a commercial loan, and that's a different lending process, right? right that's right, a different right. lender, different terms, uh, twenty-year uh, amortization. You're having an ARM. Um, your interest rate is going to be higher, etc. So interest rate is not dependent on whether it's a duplex, triplex, or fourplex. The interest rate is based on your financial profile. Got mm-hmm. it. Um, so.
1: That PMI, is that just for the FHA or is that – because I know – Pre, like if you just put less than twenty percent on any type of mortgage, you Correct. have to have PMI. But until you get to twenty percent, conventional
2: is PMI too. If it's less than twenty, that's 90%. the same
1: thing. Correct. All right. Correct. So
2: just for the FHA, it stays on for the it life. It stays thing. on until you refinance out. So if I um, see that I went FHA, I have PMI. That's two hundred fifty dollars additional per month. But my home is appreciated. I bought right in a gentrifying neighborhood, and I believe that I'm at eighty percent loan to value. I'm gonna go run the numbers get an appraisal and actually refinance out of that pmi and that's 250 dollars back in my pocket that's a car note as a cell phone bill that's groceries for folks so um yeah but that's the key to buying right if you don't buy right then you have to literally just sit and wait and continue to cough up this extra 250 dollars a month that is just literally there to
0: protect the banks so, PMI exists on a conventional if, it, if it's not 20% down. Correct. What if I'm doing a, it's not my primary residence, it's an an investment property. Does PMI exist on that? And it's, I think
2: it's like 25% down? It's 25% down on a purely investment property. So, yeah. you're already Period. above. You, yeah. have to, you have to do it. Correct. Got so, you. there's no PMI. Hmm. Gotcha.
1: Yeah. 203K
2: loan.
1: Mm-hmm. That, um, can you talk about that?
2: Yeah. So, 203K loan, FHA, same thing. But here's how it works. So, um... They're going to give me uh, my 3.5 percent down payment is going to be on the acquisition price plus the actual rehab. So if my acquisition price is 200 and the rehab is 100, then my down payment is still going to be 10,500. What's powerful about the 203K loan is that you're going to get a 203K uh, consultant who guides you through some of the rehab process, mm-hmm. and you're likely going to step into built-in equity, because you took something that was rundown. You put in 100000 to it. It's now like a brand new home. So even though you have 300000 in, you build, equity. you build equity. So now you're stepping into equity right out the gates. And that's one of the keys to buying right. So we don't just want people to go out there and buy real estate, just like we don't want people to just go out there and buy stocks just because we said so. We want you to buy right. And so buying right is three criteria. Um, first criteria is that you're stepping into built-in equity, meaning that your appraised price is actually higher than your purchase price. So you're stepping in equity right out the gates you won out the gates because you have equity the uh, second criteria is that in multifamily it is at least a 12% cash on cash return right using the rule of 72 72 divided by 12 means that your money's doubling every six years the money that you have in the property is doubling every six years and then the third criteria for buying right is that there's definite appreciation potential and definite appreciation potential means that um, I've identified 33 signs of gentrification and definite appreciation potential means that you bought on the right side of the wave and so um when i bought on uh, fulton and utica in brooklyn there was about 10 to 15 signs of gentrification there right um and that was called do or die bed stuy at the time when <laughs> no i purchased longer. it the, the no thing. longer <laughs> right because i saw it coming from Stuyvesant dumbo heights. correct <laughs> it was coming from i saw the wave coming from dumbo right to uh fort green Stuyvesant heights to best so i saw the wave so i bought Right here, I brought right here when the wave was here, and I've been able to ride that wave all the way through East New York. Yeah. So that's definite appreciation potential because now that neighborhood has 30 of the 33 signs of gentrification. So every time a new sign is added, the equity is going up.
0: All right, we gotta we got to go there. We have to go there. So there's 33 signs of gentrification. Yes, sir. Like, We like to see it. Like I used to say like, yo, if you see a Starbucks, you see, you see these Fortune 500 companies, uh, you see new construction You see new building What are some of the signs That you're looking for In that list of Signs of gentrification Our,
2: our favorite one yeah. Is uh, Is a white girl running At 9pm Through the, what used to be Known as a hood With Check. her Earpods <laughs> on And the Lululemon you, You're good to go Check. You're good to go OK, um, got to be wearing Lululemon, got to be Lululemon, got to be Lululemon, <laughs> right? can't be Ivy Park. Oh, no, can't be <laughs> Ivy Park. No, she, she's still a little too hood. <laughs> got to be Lululemon. And that's just a telltale sign. Of course, you're going to start to see dumpsters, um, coffee shops, uh, cafes, yoga studios, a uh, dog grooming. Um, you're going to see bike lanes, things of that nature. These are some of them. They're bike start- lanes is heavy. Yeah, they're yeah. going to start to call graffiti uh, art right all of a sudden you see neighborhood name changes and things of that nature so these are some of the key signs of gentrification and um you have to train your eyes to be able to observe them and watch them happening because they're happening you just have to train your eyes
1: the bike lanes is heavy yeah all through harlem um yeah once you saw those city bike things you yeah, know yeah you know it's coming yeah <laughs> yeah but there. even
2: like the belt line in atlanta similar mm-hmm.
1: type of situation I yeah
2: think. it's and it's the same patterns playing out so i saw the same pattern in oakland right i saw it in west oakland and east oakland then i saw the same pattern in inglewood when i was down in la and then i saw the same pattern here saw the same pattern it's the same pattern playing out so it's just pattern recognition at the end of the day and so if you're able to see the patterns and you're able to get ahead of them and and benefit from it
1: so here's a big one that everybody asks because a lot of our new Yorkers is our biggest market followed by atlanta los angeles so uh oakland california so we have listeners all over the world but a lot of people are in these major markets mm-hmm. and the common denominator is that real estate is expensive extremely high so a lot of people get discouraged they like all right this might work for you know if you're in the middle of america but in Brooklyn, in Harlem, like in, you know, LA. It's not working. I can't I don't have enough money to buy real estate. No, so this is this is this is something that I think is gonna be extremely beneficial. Um how to win and beat out cash buyers and hedge funds in expensive markets like New York and Los Angeles.
2: Yeah. You got to know what you're doing. Um, You're playing against heavy hitters. And so you have to elevate your game. If you think you're just going to walk into the real estate market and be able to play with the the big boys and not understand what you're doing, you're going to lose every time. So I tell people all the time, you see a property on and Zillow. First and foremost, that's not where I go to find properties. All of my properties I find is off market deals. So I'm not competing with people because once a property hits one of those websites, there's a 30% premium. Because now demand is increasing because everybody in the world is seeing that property. That's getting emailed out to everyone, right? So I'm looking for off-market deals. And how do you find off-market deals? You find them through relationships, Mm -hmm. through human beings. So my real estate Rolodex in New Orleans is about 66 people, multiple agents. Okay, that's a gem. I don't just have one agent. Like a lot of people think you just get one agent and let them go do all the work. No, I have multiple agents. Why would I restrict my search to one single agent? Now, if that agent happens to be the best in the city at identifying multifamily properties, I'll sign an exclusive agreement with them. But otherwise, whoever brings me the deal is who's going to get the commission and get paid. Mm -hmm. Um, I have contractors. I have lenders. I have other property owners. I have friends and family who are looking out for me. Why would a contractor be looking out for me? Because if they find a deal and bring it to me, who's going to get the work? When I need to rehab that property, the contractor
0: is, right? So, what's that process like? Because a lot of times people fall into that, you know what, everything was great, I can't find a good contractor. What's the process of finding a good one, keeping a good one, building relationships with them?
2: Yeah, it's it's word of mouth and, and pulling up on people on site. So when you see a contractor outside of a house, If you pull up, you got to see their work. Otherwise, you're just guessing off of some Yelp reviews or something like that, and all of those can be manipulated. Mm. If I actually see your work and I see that you started here about Wednesday and you were out the door by Monday of next week uh, for a bathroom, then I know you are efficient and and good at what you do and it's got to be word of mouth like my real estate rolodex has been built by word of mouth and then pulling up people on site and and testing them out so you might uh test them out on painting one bedroom before you test them out on painting the entire house that you have right Mm -hmm. and see what the quality of work is at that level but back to back to the question um at hand so uh off market deals the the other thing is that the only thing that beats a cash offer is a fast offer So you have to be confident about what you're doing. And when it comes to evaluating multifamily real estate, there's actually 23 numbers that you need to know. When you're buying a single family home is how much do we get approved for, right? 400,000, how much is the home? 380, do we like it? Yes or no, three factors. When you're buying multifamily real estate, there's 23 numbers that you have to know to evaluate a deal. And if you leave out one single number, you can literally step into a bad deal that will set you back for five to 10 years. So you have to know how to run those numbers. If you are on Truly and Zillow and you're over here hearting stuff and bookmarking stuff, I know you're not ready to play this game. Because when you are hearting something on Tuesday, right, and put it in your favorites folder, and you're talking about, I'm going to come back to it on Saturday. What's the two words under the listing every time you come back to it on Saturday? Pending. Under contract. Cause you didn't know how to play the game somebody else saw the deal and moved on it so you have to be able to make those decisions confidently um, and it's all based on numbers multifamily real estate is purely based on economics not on emotions so I don't make emotional decisions when I when it comes to multifamily real estate for instance the property that I bought in Oakland I was living here in Brooklyn I ran the numbers and my offer was in within one hour of the listing being up within one hour Right. No hesitation whatsoever. I didn't have to see the property. I've actually never set foot inside of this property. I bought that property for four hundred and eighty thousand dollars in uh, 27 months. We got it reappraised. Twenty seven months later It's worth seven hundred and ten. And I've never set foot inside of it. So for those who are in expensive markets, your money does not have to work in the same city as you do. Some people have bought Amazon stock and never been to Seattle. You bought Nike stock and never been to Oregon. Your money does not have to work in the same city as you do. So when you understand how to run the numbers and you know certain neighborhoods and you have a great agent on the ground in that market, you, you're you not limited to where you are. A lot of people think, oh, real estate, it has to be where I'm living. And that's cool. Typically, I tell people, here's the four markets that you should invest in. And a lot of people think they're cities. No, One, invest, first try to invest where you live, okay? If that doesn't work because it's too expensive or something like that, Two, invest where you're from because you know what was happening there when you're growing up. You were able to see the patterns and the trends. That's why I invested in Oakland, right? Then three, invest where you want to be a contribution. So for me, that was New Orleans. I want to be a contribution to that culture. And then four, invest uh, wherever you can make money. I've never invested purely in a place because uh, of making money. So when it comes to real estate being expensive where I am, let's just calculate how expensive you paying rent is for the next five, 10, 15 years, right? If you're renting... New York is $2,000, that's $24,000. That's an L. That's a 24K L. And if we multiply that by 10 years, that's a quarter million dollars. That's $240,000, 10 years. So, what's actually more expensive? So, in an expensive market, like uh, typically we're looking for a 12% cash on cash return, right? But in a market like New York, um, you might have to settle for the fact that the money that's coming out of my pocket is less than what I'm paying in rent. So, if I'm paying if I'm negative two thousand in rent in New York and I'm able to find a multifamily that only reduces my housing expense to five hundred dollars, that's actually a win in an expensive market. Is it the ideal twelve percent cash on cash return when my property is now paying me? No but it's actually changing my cash flow of my family because now I'm up $1,500 a month because of this multifamily. So these are some of the keys, being willing to invest from a distance, um, reevaluating the numbers and comparing it to how expensive rent is, because that's gonna be there. Unless you change something, rent is going to continue to be there. There's only three ways to get rid of your housing expense forever. That is one, live in a tent, two, go to jail, or three, buy multifamily real estate.
1: So um, you talk about uh, 23 numbers to know, what are some of the numbers that you know?
2: So you have to know the rents, obviously, right? Just because a seller gives you rent roll doesn't mean that those are the actual rents. You need to know what the actual rents are. You need leases. You need to verify those rents. Talk
1: talk about that, because that's something that people don't fully appreciate. Like, yeah, you have to actually know what's
2: actually happening with the property. Yeah. Not what they're just
1: telling you is happening.
2: Yeah, you have to do due diligence. So I'm asking for leases, but even leases don't tell me if that tenant is actually paying on time. Mm. So I need to actually see that amount of money hitting the account between the first and the fifth for all four units that I'm about to purchase. I'm, I'm buying a business. Right. I'm buying a business, and if we were going to buy a laundry mat or something like that, we are gonna actually need to see the cash flow. Now, because most owners are just um, individuals, uh, some of them don't have good accounting around the actual cash flow of the property, but you have to know what you're getting into, especially in this market where you have uh, COVID restrictions and you can't um, uh, ev- uh, evict people, et cetera. You gotta actually know those things. And so I'm asking for bank statements. I don't need to see your entire bank statement, cross everything out, but I need to see when that money actually hit the account, right? Um, but then we use other online tools like uh meter to actually identify how much should this particular unit be getting, right? And so if I see that a seller has not increased rents for 10 years and the rents are actually at $1,000, but I run the numbers over here and look at the standard deviation, cause that's what a rental meter does. And I see that that could actually be c- commanding um, $1,300 a month, then I might've find, found some hidden value in a particular property. Now, as an ethical investor, I'm not interested in displacing people. So I'm not like some of these other Real estate folks who Got say, "Yeah, just uh, just come and buy the property and just kick the people out." No, as ethical investors, we put people before profit. We put people before profit. These we want our people to stay in our communities. But um, what's crazy is that a, uh, a good investor actually has to increase rents every single year, and that was a uh, that was a hard awakening for me. And here's why: if I'm uh, a owner in Oakland and I don't increase rents just because I want to be nice to my tenants, right? Then when I want to sell my property at $800,000, a property that I got 15 years ago for $300,000, the rents will not justify that to a seller and therefore I will be stuck in that property and never be able to get it off. So I'll literally not be able to ever get liquid or release that property because the rents don't justify it. And so uh, we increase rents according to the uh, CPI in that market. So if the CPI in Oakland went up 3% that year, then we're gonna increase rents by 3%. Because guess what? My other expenses are going to go up by 3%. My contractors are going to go up. My utilities are going to go up. My garden is going to go up. And so in order to provide taxes,
1: you... Taxes going. taxes
2: are going up. So in order to still provide you with the quality housing that I desire to provide for you, mm-hmm. I have to be able to, to meet that. If I think just by being nice right and keeping your rent where it is then ultimately i might not have enough money to fix that roof leak because i didn't increase rents but all my other expenses went up during that period of time it's true yeah so this is this is really key so uh even as an ethical investor we have to increase rents but we don't increase rents in such a way where uh it's going to be from 1000 to uh, 1300 just like that or else you got to get out that's not how we that's not how we treat people
0: so you said this is this is key because you know all the numbers and it's something like corona happens yeah and then you have a, a rental oratorium and it's like all right well people don't have to pay rent so how do you handle a situation like that i know you have a lot of doors how does that work
2: yeah so um half of my portfolio is section eight so that's guaranteed income right whether the economy's up or down <laughs> yeah uh, Whether whether economy's up or down i'm, I'm straight and yeah. then the other key is you have to actually screen your tenants so um my market rate tenants teachers nurses people like that whose income is not going to fluctuate based on a market, like in New Orleans, I typically won't hire somebody who's in hospitality right because especially in this COVID environment that hotel shuts down or flights or cancel things of that nature now their income is fluctuating therefore that means my income is going to fluctuate so you have to be very mindful about who you actually attract so some of those other numbers include your property management right includes the gardening like if i look at a property online and i see that it has no grass or a lot of grass I'm going to put aside a $80 budget a month for a gardener if it has grass because that has to be upkept. They're literally cities that will give you um, give you tickets for not upkeeping mm-hmm. your, your yard, right? I have to know my CapEx. CapEx is my capital expenditures. Those are about 10% of rents. So if rents are $4,000, I'm going to set aside $400 a month in a separate account for roof, foundation, electrical, plumbing, and things of that nature, right, and HVAC. I'm gonna set aside money for those things that I know will come. They might not be immediate right now. I may not need Mm -hmm. a new roof right now, but I need to set aside a portion of rents for that. Repair reserve, like sink leaks or a hole in the wall or rodents or something like that. That's I'm gonna set aside 5% for that. I gotta know my interest rate, right? I gotta know um, my down payment. Um, these are, uh, I gotta know my PMI. So all of these numbers factor into seeing if this property is actually gonna cash flow at the level that you desire. And again, you leave out one numbers, especially a number like tax, mm you think you're buying a cash flowing property, then you see that your taxes in New York are $8,000 a year, and you realize that you're negative, that you went backwards. And the key thing about tax um, and calculating taxes uh, when you're running your numbers is that the tax assessment is usually going to be based on the purchase price that the previous owner purchased the property at, right? And their taxes are going to be based on that. But once you purchase it at two times or three times what they purchased it at because they were sitting on it for 20 years, it's gonna get reassessed and your taxes may double or triple accordingly. So if you were running your numbers based on their taxes, you think your property's cash flowing but then when it gets reassessed a year later after you've owned it, you realize that you're actually in the negative because you didn't account for the fact that it was gonna get reassessed at the purchase price that you bought it for.
1: So, So you said half of your properties are like section eight tenants? Yes. Can you talk about that? We haven't talked about that on the program yet. Um we'll talk about section eight, because I know obviously it has a lot of, you know, stigma attached to it, but it is is actually a lot of positive as part for being a
2: landlord, right? One hundred percent. I I don't know where the stigma come, came from. I I think it was in Living Color. I think it might have been some li, 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 I think it might have been some of Living Color yeah, I, skit I or, or Martin know. or something like that, yeah. talking about Section Eight tenants, but you actually get to still screen your Section Eight tenants. Somebody just because somebody shows up with a voucher, you don't have to say, "Oh, you get to move in." You still have to screen them. So I'm I'm literally going to screen my Section Eight tenants just like I was screen a uh, market rate tenant. And I'm looking at how uh, she treats her kids. I'm looking at how she cap how she keeps herself. Right. I'm looking at language, uh, tone, and patterns, and things of like that. And I'm looking at the application if the instructions were followed and things of that nature. So I'm literally screening my Section Eight tenants. And my Section Eight tenants, I'll be honest with you, they all of mine have been good people who fell on hard times so i had people who got displaced by katrina i had people who who lost lost a husband things of that nature and they just experienced something that knocked them off their feet and they're trying to get back on their feet and now i get to be a support mechanism provide them quality affordable housing so that they don't have to worry about that piece by living in a neighborhood that is not actually conducive for their kids to grow up in so uh, i love my section eight tennis they love me and uh on top of that They typically don't leave unless family size expands. Hmm. They typically don't leave unless family size expands. So
1: the Section 8, let's stay on this for a minute. So the Section 8, people, I think, think that Section 8, they automatically assume projects, housing projects. But you can have Section 8 and live in a home.
2: Yeah, 100%. You you don't
1: have to live. Mm. I think that's a common misconception also. Mm, Correct. Section
0: 8 and luxury buildings.
1: Well, that's different. That's not Section 8. That's... that's, um, I think that's like subsidized, subsidized type of housing. rent rent control. Mm. It's okay. a little different. But so Section eight is provided by the government. Correct. You have to be, you know, under a threshold of think of like poverty level, yep. probably, right? <laughs> and then they'll give you like a voucher. Let's say it's like fifteen hundred dollars or thousand dollars whatever. And then you can use that and you
2: can live in a, in a house. One hundred percent. Right? Just like that. Yeah. So um the Only issue with section eight is that um, the inspections. So uh, they are in New Orleans in particular, um, uh, the inspections, they can come and they're very, uh, they're sticklers about windows, they're sticklers about doors, they're sticklers about where where the, uh, the fire alarms are and everything like that. So if you wanna avoid any delays in getting your first check, you kinda wanna start to learn what they actually look for so that when they actually do come and do the inspection that you're ready to go and the transfer can happen. Um, and, and, the,
1: and the government pays you so you don't have to worry about yeah government what, pays me what about rent increase does that affect? oh
2: the section eight programs um so in my property in Oakland and my properties in Brooklyn. actually all my properties have section eight and they're they're equivalent to market rate and I don't have to worry about it. it's guaranteed
1: so when you raise the rent, the, the no, I
2: don't raise the rent. The, okay. they have their own payment standards, and their payment standards have been competitive with market. Rent. Oh, so they for the government? Yeah, the government. So they'll payment say this,
1: this year, this is the payment for this year for a two bedroom in New Orleans. Okay, yep. and and it's, it's competitive to the market one hundred percent.
0: What's the process? So like when everything's going good, and every, you, obviously you said ethical investors, and we we've screened um, our tenants. But what happens when something goes bad and it's somebody that, you know what, we need to get them out of the property? Is it? A, what's the process like to evict somebody that's in a Section 8 unit? Um... You just have to
2: document what occurred mm-hmm. and make sure you get that information and have evidence to present to the counselor. I mean, there's other people who, other landlords who desire Section 8 tenants. If you want them, you can, ha- you can have them, but you just have to document the process. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same with any eviction. You got to go through the same thing. And I've only had to do t- two evictions um in my entire experience because I, I screen right. And so I haven't had to have that experience, but it's the same thing. And you want to know the... For section eight, I typically go through I would have to go through housing for I would go through the section eight office. Mm-hmm. But for eviction, it's really key for anybody buying multifamily. You need to know what the eviction process is in your city. You never want to use it, but you need to know how it actually works and how it operates, how quickly it uh, how quickly it can happen. So in New York, it could take you six months. Forever. Oh, yeah. It could take a year. Yeah, yeah. two years. Yeah, ten bro. days. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So that was what makes it a, a tenant-friendly or a landlord-friendly. And you need to know that process Because right. it may It may happen to you And that would uh, Six months or a year Would significantly affect Your cash flow And some For some people Their ability to actually Afford that property right. So Yeah
1: How do you get listed For Section 8? You just go on like The government's website And fill out I've never been on Section
2: 8 So I don't No um, I'm saying like, like, for, for, be... <laughs> for, for a land, her landlord hey, like, yeah, uh, How does oh, a yeah, landlord Get a property just, listed I go for straight Section to the Section 8, 8 office And say um, Here's uh, I would like to Create an account um, You'll put your first Listing up there Just like you were Putting it up On apartments.com Oh, no different. Mm-hmm. And then uh, they're going to ask for your uh, your articles of incorporation. They're going to ask for your uh, voided check, et cetera, so that they can wire you the money on the first of the month. That money comes like clockwork. That's yeah. clockwork.
1: Like I said, I mean, from a from a landlord standpoint, it's the, it's the government paying you. So yeah.
2: you don't have to worry about it. Guaranteed. Whether the economy is up or down. So, um, yeah, that's like you can't beat that.
0: So you said, I'm going to go back a little bit because yeah. I'm thinking as the average person was looking to, to invest in real estate. If we're not using Trulia, we're not using Zillow, and we haven't built uh, real estate rolodex. Yeah, where are we going? Are we going to auctions to find properties, or are we going to like the Section Eight, or like where would I go if I was just trying to start?
2: Yeah, so if you're just trying to start, uh, you go get educated first. <laughs> you go get educated first, but um, uh, you know they call it driving for dollars. Mm. So first and foremost, you want to. Identify a neighborhood that you think is about to pop off next and so I don't care what city you're in You should be able to take me on a helicopter ride of that city and actually show me where the lines are Where things are on the fringes where things are about to pop off. You should be able to tell me that Um, because when you're looking at truly and Zillow, you're looking from a property level But we need to see how your city is trending where people moving to right so as rents increase in major urban centers People are leaving and they're going somewhere And so you need to be able to tell me in your market, where are people going? So Mesa, Arizona was one of the um, hottest rental markets in the country. And you know where Mesa, Arizona is? No. It's 15 minutes outside of Phoenix. So Phoenix was um, getting gentrified and people were deciding, where do I go that still can get me to work? And Mesa happened to be it. So you need to find that smaller secondary market that is around it. So once you've identified a neighborhood, now you want to start driving for dollars, and you want to start looking for where there where there's trends, where you're starting to see the 10 to 15 signs of gentrification, and you want to target your search specifically there. Um, then comes personal branding. You have to let people know that this is actually what you're looking for, and you need to be very clear in your language. I'm looking for uh, a triplex in the um, in 70802 uh, for a price range of $250,000. And you need to start communicating that to not only agents, but to everybody uh, around you so that um, when things happen. So, for instance, somebody's parent transitions or their grandmother transitions and the children do not want to buy. No child of the four wants to buy the house from their siblings. Right. Everybody wants to cash out. And before it hits the market, guess who they reach out to you because you communicated what you were looking for. Hey, well, my friend is looking for a multi-family now. So this is the this is the key is to build those relationships and let other people know what you're actually looking for. Um, it's not it's not a website. It's all uh, it's been relationships for me. Um, and then driving for dollars means also skip tracing. So driving for dollars, you're driving through neighborhoods and you're looking for properties that are boarded up. You're looking for properties that have overgrown grass. You're looking for properties with 20 newspapers in the front yard and you take down the address and you do what they call skip trace and skip tracing means going online and actually identifying the owner through the assessor's website or through whitepages.com, right? So you skip trace, uh, skip trace them. You call them, you text them, you mail them, right? And you ask them if they're, what they're doing, what their intentions are for that property. So the home that I live in, my single family that I live in now, I didn't get a single family until I had 20 doors, right? So, but my home that I live in now, I skip traced the owner. I wanted that property. I saw it sitting there vacant. And um, when I first found her, she uh, said that, um, oh yeah, I plan to move on there and finish the work that's in there, et cetera, because it was down to the studs already. And it took me a year and a half to get that property. But I'm the only one that knew that she was in a in between space about what she was going to do with the property because I was the only one who did the research so I got that property at a discount I got it for uh, I think 140 put in 60 finished it out really nice and it's worth It actually is getting appraised this week and I think it's going to appraise at 300,000
1: so for, well, well done for for people mm-hmm. let's just bring it back multifamily the benefit of having a multifamily is that you have um, cash flow as opposed to just most people, when they think of buying a home, they're just buying a single family home. Yeah. And as you said, the problem with that is that if you lose your job, it's not really. That's when people say, like, is a home an asset or a liability? Oh, yeah. And it's like a single family, technically, you can kind of say it could be a liability. So, um, not technically, it <laughs> is. Whereas a multi family home, you got somebody living, you know, below you or above you. Now you actually collect two forms of rent. So, it's actually positive cash flow. So, that's the benefit of, for anybody that's wondering, like, why wow, we're talking about multifamily, that's the benefit of multifamily homes. Now, one of the knocks for multifamily homes is that people don't want to live with other people. They don't want to yeah. live in the same house that somebody is above them or somebody is below them. What would you say to them for that? You're renting right now.
2: Somebody living above you or next to you right now.
1: If you're in a building,
2: yeah, yeah. And you likely are. <laughs> but but like as far as like buying a home, don't if, yeah.
1: like, if I'm gonna buy a home, I want a home. I don't want to live. Oh yeah. And have
2: to deal with neighbors. Uh, but you're gonna have to deal with a mortgage. Yeah. You either deal with neighbors, you deal with a mortgage, and it, FHA is only a one year living requirement, right? So a lot of people, the single family dream has been pushed to folks, but um. The American Dream is just rock people to sleep. It's actually the American nightmare. Everything they tell you to do in the American Dream is to rock you to sleep. Everything they tell you to do go to college, who gets paid off that student loan interest? The government. They say go get a high paying job. Who gets paid? Takes their money off the top. The government. Then they say go get a single family home. Who do you have to pay property taxes to? The government. Everything they told you to do in the American Dream was so that they could get paid, right? So H T V will have you fooled in thinking that once you get the keys you are a homeowner. That's a lie you're a home buyer you bought a home you're not a home owner because you only put 3.5 percent down the bank owns the other 96.5 percent right and so we have to be very careful with our language what happens is a lot of people buy single family homes and like oh look at me i'm grown now i ain't renting no more (laughs) that's a lie you still are renting you're not renting from a landlord you just rented the bank's money what is the bank's money rented called it's called interest you're renting money you're not renting a space you're renting money right? And so on a $300,000 loan at 4% with only 3.5% down, um, you're about to pay $208,000 in interest. So people look at a single family home and say, oh, that home's only $300,000. No, that home is going to cost you $508,000. Not only are you buying yourself a home, you're buying your lender a home at the same time. And if you look at the mortgage payment, Like what bank would you go to where you put in $2,000 into the account and you only get credited 600? Would you bank with a bank like that? Mm -hmm. That's what a mortgage payment is. Your first mortgage payment or FHA loan at 3.5% down is 70% interest. Mm -hmm. So you put in 2000 and the interest was 1400. That's a terrible transaction so when we look at that a single family home is uh, a dangerous way to try to begin your real estate journey because if you're not careful this is what's sick if you're not careful when you add in the interest the private mortgage insurance the property taxes the homeowner's insurance and the maintenance of that property a single family home buyer can actually have more money going out of their pocket due to housing than someone who is renting the same square footage across the street now, people say, well, Julian, my house appreciated. The appreciation only is covering the interest that you were going to pay to the bank. You're not really up. It's only covering the interest. And so we have to be very careful about calling a single family home an asset when it really isn't. And if you haven't leveraged it, if your money is stuck, even if it has appreciated and your money stuck in the walls, then it's just sitting there doing nothing until you actually liquidate. And liquidating means selling. And once you sell, you have no place to live. So this is... Very key now there's four financial benefits of multifamily real estate I've talked to you about cash on cash return and so I have a duplex in New Orleans that I spent uh it the price I didn't spend but it the price is three hundred thousand dollars so let me just break down over the next thirty years how much that property is going to pay me. It does not look like a million dollar home, but it actually is when you actually look at the numbers. So over the next thirty years, that property is going to pay me six hundred and thirty-eight thousand dollars in cash flow. That's after principal, interest, taxes, insurance, capex, repairs, and vacancy rate. That's money in my pocket over the next six hundred uh, over the next thirty years. Then the tax savings on that property, money that I do not pay the government, will be two hundred and seventy-eight thousand dollars.
0: I'm I'm getting
2: $278,000 in tax savings on a $300,000 home
0: Because of the location of the property?
2: No, because I get to depreciate that property over Mm -hmm. 27.5 years And all the expenses related to that property So I'm actually reducing my tax liability by $278,000 over 30 years Then the principal pay down, who's paying the principal? I'm not, the tenants are So that's $225,000 And then if this property appreciates by 1% every year for the next 30 years That's an additional $104,000 so you add all that up, that's 1.2 million dollars. So this is a million-dollar property, and I still have the property, which is also now uh, I still have 300,000 of equity that's in the property. So it's actually 1.5. So this is simply off of a 300,000-dollar duplex, and when you see that, then it becomes a no-brainer. See, a lot of people are hesitant to invest in multifamily real estate, especially people who are getting this fast money um, through stock options and uh, stock market investing, etc. It's it's great, and we need the fast money and the slow money, but Multifamily real estate is actually a twenty five percent return it's just not a cash on cash return if I have a 12 percent cash on cash return and then I add in those other benefits of the principal paydown the tax savings and the appreciation my actual annual rate of return is around twenty five percent Elon Musk annual rate of return since he sold uh, since he exited PayPal and to what he has today his annual rate of return has been forty four point four four percent so if I'm able to get twenty five percent return I think I'm doing Pretty good And a lot of people You know the stock market S&P 500 Guess what the rate of return is On the S&P 500 Over the past 20 years Everybody 12% annually Somewhere there January 1st 2000 To December 31st 2020 The annual rate of return On the S&P 500 Was 4.77% Go run, You can go run the numbers Right And there's a lot more volatility In that as well mm-hmm. This is consistent My daughter will be able to inherit these. If I stop right now, just with my portfolio is, my private portfolio right now, at the age of thirty six, my daughter will have twenty five thousand dollars in passive income for the rest of her life. If I stop now, mm-hmm. right? Because of multifamily real estate investing. So um so what I've done is I played the long term game first. So a lot of people, you know, they try to get rich quick schemes, but if they would have played the long term game a long time ago, they'd be a lot further along. <laughs> so I've actually it secured the long term game first, and then what that does is it frees me up to take greater risk in other avenues and other forms of investment that have more volatility. So that's been the way i played the game.
0: You said your private portfolio. I'm just in my head, I'm thinking, in your private portfolio, are you still buying the properties? Uh, through a LLC or how's that work? Is it in your yeah? Personal? At this
2: stage, at this stage, so you can only have ten mortgages uh, as an individual. Right. Um. So yeah, all of my purchases now are in my business name or in the LLC. So mm-hmm. there's the 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 parent LLC, which is a holding company, and then each property has its own individual LLC, mm-hmm. and um, that's that's how I operate now. Yeah. Yeah, it yeah. just Makes it easier. Yeah, it makes it easier. Everything's it cleaner. Clean. It keeps the books clean. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So
1: what what about mindset? Because I feel like you know. We talked about like financing. that's one hurdle that stops people yeah that's why i wanted to open up with financing but it's not the only hurdle i think a lot of times people just don't believe that they can buy a home or they just you know it's especially if you've been renting your whole life and you live in a city like new york or los yeah. angeles is it's a far-fetched idea and i think the mindset is kind of stop people
2: as well yeah know? Uh, that's the reason my students succeed is because we focus on the mindset, right? There's the physical real estate and then there's the mental real estate. And the fact that people are lacking intellectual property is the reason that they don't have physical property. They're missing the information up here. This is why they don't able to manifest it out here. So, um, the biggest, one of the biggest mindset shifts is, and you saw me say this at InvestFest, is that people have to recognize that if you're renting right now, you're homeless. Okay. If you're renting right now, and I, I'm not saying it jokingly, I'm kind of saying it jokingly and I'm kind of serious because technically you are homeless. You literally do not have a home. You are not on the title. You are not on the deed. And when you look at an actual homeless person. Te-
1: technically homeless. Yeah.
2: Homeless.
0: Not
1: not homeless like, in, you, like you're on the street. Yeah. Correct. But you just don't have a home. you
0: literally, literally. You're minus a home.
2: Homeless. Yes. Homeless. So. When we look at the actual homeless person who's on the street, right? They probably dealt with childhood abuse. They, they probably dealing with mental illness. They have no money, no friends, no family, no shelter, no food, no job, none of that, right? All they have is the clothes on their backs. And here all of us are, we have roof over our head. We got the internet, a $1,000 computer, $1,000 phone, long old resumes, all this education, people who love us, et cetera. How is it that that person who's sleeping on the bus bench owns as many properties as you do? With all the advantages that you have. How is that possible? Right. And so when people recognize that they're actually homeless and they start to change their subconscious mind, because we say, what do people say? Oh, this is my apartment. You know, you dating somebody say, come over to my apartment. (laughs) That is not your apartment. And but we are subconsciously lying to ourselves when we call it my apartment or my house when it's actually not. And so what I actually encourage people to do uh, when they join my program, I literally tell them, uh, start going and getting boxes, start packing up.
0: Earners, listen up. There's a new site that's building the best real estate investing experience ever. It's called Fundrise. It's the first online investment platform designed to give every person the opportunity to own a portfolio of high-quality real estate affordably thanks to their cutting-edge low-cost model. That's right, Fundrise is revolutionizing the investment world by delivering unparalleled transparency and real-time reporting that lets you see how the development of specific properties impact your overall portfolio. The platform's innovations power an investor-first model by eliminating the bloated costs of middlemen that have traditionally weighed down real estate investing, saving investors time and money. Every Fundrise portfolio can be allocated according to the types of real estate you personally prefer, drawing on the platform's many active properties, over 150, handpicked by their in-house team of pros, and many more added all the time. When you add Fundrise Real Estate to your investing strategy, you're unlocking a deeper sort of diversification than anything available through your run-of-the-mill public stocks and bonds. And one of the secrets that many of the country's wealthiest investors understand is that when you diversify, your portfolio is not just resilient, it's actually positioned to earn more overall. But now, no matter what kind of investor you are, Fundrise makes it simple to build a more perfect portfolio. But don't just take my word. See for yourself. Check out why Fundrise has grabbed the attention of the financial world, earning it a place on Forbes' list of most innovative companies year after year, and the title Best Real Estate Investment Platform in 2019 by the FinTech Breakthrough Awards. And earners that got a special offer going on right now. Visit fundrise.com slash leisure, that's F-U-N-D-R-I-S-E dot slash leisure to have your first three months of fees waived. Again, that's fundrise.com leisure. Don't wait, don't hesitate. Head over there now. Right I
2: need on. you to uh, start packing up. Go get boxes. Cuz when I travel and I know you all been on the road, right? Do you start taking stuff out of your suitcase and hanging it all up and putting mm-hmm. it in the drawers? No, you live out of your suitcase because you know that that place, that hotel is not yours, right? So why do we unpack and get comfortable in places that actually do not belong to us? That's
1: like um big you know big business? Yeah. So
2: when we interviewed him, he was
1: saying that uh he, he he moved to miami and uh he never got a tv i don't think he got a couch. he just had a bed and he promised his his wife and his chap that um the reason why he wasn't going to furnish the place because he was only going to be there for a temporary time so he didn't want
2: to get comfortable why get comfortable in a place that's not mine people over here painting walls you buying furniture for certain nooks in somebody else's house you putting up bookshelves you making it look nice everybody in the neighborhood thinks you own it and you don't so Go start packing your boxes. Literally, people have closed in less than 90 days once they got their mind right. Like, imagine being enslaved in Maryland, right? Maryland, right below the Mason-Dixon line. And now you've been enslaved for 40 years, and now you're on your deathbed, and somebody tells you that the Mason-Dixon line is right there by the horizon, by that, t- by that tall tree. The Mason-Dixon line was right there the whole time, but you didn't know it. You just weren't aware of it. Once you realize that the Mason-Dixon line is actually that close, you run for it. And so... The ability to acquire multifamily real estate, Listen, people think you need to buy, have a real estate license. People think that you need to have bought a single family home first. People have all these myths uh, about uh, what it takes to get in the game. People uh, people think that you need to have a ton of money saved. Literally, people have not gone to get go get pre-approved. You won't believe how many people have not even gone to go get pre-approved. And the, it, the reason they haven't gone and get pre-approved is because their own perception of how they're showing up in the world. You know, everybody around us perceives us in this highway, like your significant other, your, your friends or family see you in your best light, but we look at ourselves in the lowest way sometimes. And so what I tell people is go get pre-approved. I don't care how you see your financial situation right now. Let's see how the bank sees your financial situation. And you'll be surprised. You thought that you could only get pre-approved for $300,000, which was not enough to buy multifamily in your market. But when you actually went to the lender and showed them what you had, they approved you for $500,000. You could have been in the game a long time ago, but you were afraid to go get pre-approved. You were afraid to open up your financial house and let somebody in and come see. And you realize that it's not as bad as you think because this is a physical tangible asset real estate banks are more willing to lend against that than your business idea that you have your 10 page business plan on so go get pre-approved it costs you nothing to go get pre-approved you're gonna ask for your w 2s some pay stubs uh your tax returns your bank statements go literally go to the bank that you have your checking or savings account at and start there um i don't care what your credit is all we want to do is see what number they come back to you with And if that number is too low to buy multifamily real estate in your market, then let's fix the things. If it's your credit, then let's work on your credit. If it's your savings, let's work on your savings. If it's your income that they say is too low, then let's work on your income. But let's be in the know. Let's start from that awareness. But some people have been able to get pre-approved for more than they needed, but they have been afraid. Because this whole, um, we got this wave of people who are just focused on perfect credit scores right now. Yeah. The, name of the, the purpose of credit is to be leveraged And to use, be used Some people have better credit scores than me but have no assets Right so We're not just trying to create perfect credit scores We're trying to build wealth and not just Generational wealth we're trying to create Regenerational wealth and regenerational wealth is Wealth that transcends multiple generations Generational wealth gets passed down one generation We're seeking to create regenerational wealth and enter into what I call the asset class, right? There's only four classes of people. There's lower class, middle class, upper class, and asset class. And only one of those classes of people is free. It's the asset class. This is the top line on your sweatshirts. It's the asset class. The asset class, people have passive income that covers their cost of living. Even if I'm in the upper class and I have a good paying job like my mom did, I'm still not free. I'm actually more free than some Fortune 500 CEOs right now, even though I don't make the money that they make. Cause I own my time. Yeah. Cause I have assets that cover my entire cost of living and more. So um, this is what the goal is. And so for me, the multifamily movement is not just about multifamily real estate. That's what I realized recently. It's about multiple families coming together to create regeneration of wealth and enter the asset class. And the first asset that we're buying together is multifamily real estate. But. Beyond that, I expect to be in these people's lives for the rest of their lives as we continue to create regenerational wealth together.
0: Yeah, I, I'm glad you broke down the asset class because I wanted to talk to you about the difference between being in poverty and being poor. I know that's something that you highlight. Oh my goodness! And, and there's a, I got a follow up after that. But I want you to start yeah, doing. yeah, yeah. So this is
2: a, this is a, you know I wrote uh, rich and righteous, the spiritual secrets to manifesting uh, more money, um, and mastering your mind and. In there, I talk about the difference between being poor and being in poverty. I just want you to know your book is up there. Oh, shout out. I, I, I appreciate it. I didn't even notice uh, that. Uh, you know. I appreciate By that. The way. Of course, of course, of course. <laughs> I mean, it's it's really about moving our people from poverty consciousness to wealth consciousness because I realize that if we give uh, all these financial strategies to people with a poverty consciousness, that none of them will take root. And so, we have to be very careful and make sure that the soil is set first, and that's where the mind comes in. So. If I'm born into poverty, poverty is just an external condition. It is not who I am. But what happens is when a black boy or black girl is born into poverty, they look around them and they base their identity based on what they see. And they say, I am poor because they see poverty. (laughs) But that's not the truth of your identity. The truth is that you are abundant and abundance is your birthright. And the reason that I think we as a collective and most of us have been born into those conditions is actually to prove how rich we are. We are born into poverty to prove how rich we are. If I'm Paris Hilton, right, and I'm uh born into wealth, I can't prove how rich I am, because I already had it. It was already handed to me. But if I'm born into poverty, I actually can demonstrate that I am abundant regardless of my external condition. And so this is a mindset. So never say I am poor, right? I am are the two most powerful words in the English language. Okay. Never say I am poor. You can say, I was born into poverty, but that is not who I am. And we've seen all these albums that you see here. People have demonstrated that my external condition does not define me. And we've seen people create abundance out of nothing. Jay-Z said, put me anywhere on God's green earth, I trip my worth. That means that regardless of what I have in my pocket and what's around me, I know that the true wealth is actually inside of me. And so um, when we start there in the mindset, um, I believe that it's a more fertile soil for us to actually implant these wealth seeds and these strategies and that they'll take root and they'll, they'll grow from there yeah
1: um so how'd you get into the education aspect of it because i want to talk about the multi-family movement yeah what are uh, you an investor you realize you know you can make money change your family what prompted you to actually build in a community
2: yeah so um i'm a real estate investor first then a real estate educator then a real estate developer and um I was speaking at colleges and companies for from 2009 when I quit my job um, up until like 2009. It was about a 10-year run. And I was taking the money that I was making from speaking and I was pouring it into real estate. And I kept getting more questions about real estate than I would get about anything else. And so I said, let me start teaching people how to do this. And so um, my first student, uh, Chris uh, Chris roll he, he actually handled marketing for Queen of Fua. Or whatnot, and um, uh, he closed on a fourplex um, near USC using NACA. He closed on a fourplex near USC, and that was my first success story outside of myself. and And from there, I just started teaching it to more and more people. Um, and I just knew that people needed this information and this education. And, and while multifamily real estate investing it looks similar to single family purchasing on the surface there's just so many more nuances that you need to know to make sure that you buy right and so um so i started the multifamily movement it was uh july of 2019 um and today we've helped 261 62 people actually yeah somebody just closed yesterday on multifamily real estate all across the country and the thing about the multifamily movement that's different is that I realize that, and I think you all say this, um, information's on us, the execution's on you. I realize that I'm not actually selling them information. What I'm giving them is an accountability structure and a system to make sure that they implement the information. And so we have... Market meetups, like you, you talk about with the EYL community. We have market meetups where you're actually connecting with other members. You have a buddy in the program. Uh, we have our weekly coaching calls. It's all about the accountability and the structure to make sure that you implement the information. We know better, mm-hmm. but we just don't always do better. We got books on our shelves that we intended to read to change some aspect of our lives. The information is there. You wanted to lose weight last year. There's free videos on YouTube, hit trainings on YouTube. There's free recipes on Google. You, the information was there but there was still something blocking you from actually getting to the finish line. And so um, I realized that because only 7% of people complete online courses when left up to their own devices. And so that's what our commitment is. And that's what I'm trying to push on all of us because we are teaching liberation arts education. What was shoved down our throat was liberal arts education liberal arts education will cost you i don't need to know anything about shakespeare i don't care about shakespeare right but liberation arts education will free you and what we have right now and what's happening and you are all spearheading this movement is liberation arts education when people know these things they can get free Right, but it's not just about the information. It's about how do we make sure that they implement the information because they implement one of Ian's strategies, one of Trapper's strategies, one of your strategies, one of my strategies, one of Matt's strategies. When they implement these things, we know that their are not only their lives but their family's lives will be changed forever.
1: So, and you know, it's one of these things that's interesting because I always said like you know, real estate not something they teach in college, but they actually start starting teaching in college. I think it's actually because of so many online education but like NYU has a real estate program, but NYU costs $60,000 a year. Fact. So it's like, hey, I'm not even really sure what they're teaching in their real estate program, but you're paying $60,000 a year, and that's the beauty of online education, where it's like, directly, this is what I wanna know. Yeah. I don't have to go through everything else that comes with that. Correct. Because like, you, know, you just can't take real estate, you gotta take math and science and yeah. you know, all right. the other stuff. Uh, Even in college, you still got to take all the other stuff and be there for four years where it's like, all right, you can actually implement this in six months, a year, you know, be in a position to actually execute. Yeah, And it's like mentorship Yeah, in, in, in a sense, right? Where you're like, you're part of a community. You have, you know, meetings and online Zoom calls, stuff like that. You know, people always ask, like, you know, can I get mentored? Well that's kind of like the online communities
2: have turned to like the mentorship exactly 100 percent like um i don't have the capacity to do one-on-one i have too many people to free right but if i can create a community of people who are supporting each other on this singular journey which is to acquire multifamily real estate then i know that you're going to get uh get to your ultimate destination and get free harriet tubman she didn't take people one at a time She made 19 trips below the Mason-Dixon line, and she took cohorts of people. That's how she freed 300 people. That's why my first focus is 300 people. She took cohorts of people. She didn't have time to take one person at a time, right? You had to take groups of people. Um, And so uh, that's what we're able to create. And I think uh, the pandemic actually pushed us online in that way and – and when I look at InvestFast, when I look at you all traveling to different cities, we're also making sure that the online is complemented with the offline experience, so that people can build real relationships, not just profile pictures, but real relationships. Because we know uh, that collaboration over competition is is where it's at.
0: Yeah, I was thinking, in my mind. I was thinking inside of the community, because uh, what we talk about a lot, we hear group group economics, group economics. Yeah. Um, if I didn't have the funding or if I didn't have the finance, are you seeing people working together to say look? I have this I have that let's come together to get this property inside of
2: it? Yeah, so half the half the members of the buyback Baton Rouge fund um, There's about 461 of us who invested um, they all came from the multifamily movement So not only are they working on getting their first property But any other additional capital that they had they decided to invest in a larger fund where we're developing uh, Over 100 units out in Baton Rouge, Louisiana So um, yeah, uh, and that comes from the trust of the community and that comes from working together that what that it allows us to do is buy bigger properties at a discount it's like Okay, we're gonna put our money together and we're gonna go to Costco, right? But we're not buying ketchup now. We're buying real estate at a discount. So um, that that's the power of of group economics. Like we pay lip service to it, but you know, um, myself uh, and Anthony Kimball, um, Chris, we know people have executed the crowdfunding uh, methodology, and it's really powerful when done right because everybody can participate at the level that they feel comfortable. Like everybody doesn't need a thirty thousand dollar down payment, right? People can say I'm putting in a thousand dollars, and it's still going to multiply. At the same rate, it's just not as much money in. So that's the power of the crowdfunding methodology.
1: So I know you and MG, shout out to our partner, MG the Mortgage yes, Guy. Yes. MG the Mortgage Guy has what I call the encyclopedia for real estate with <laughs> his home buyer blueprint one and two, where literally like everything you need to know about buying a home and refinancing a home and 203K lanes, all of that is really like an encyclopedia. And uh, he put together a great body of work for the volume one and the volume two. And then we talked about your multifamily uh movement. So you guys actually combined forces. Yes, yes. Right. Sir. And you put together a Black Friday deal, which was uh wildly popular, wildly successful. So um you're gonna have that same offer um for EYL for anybody that's interested. And the website is ww. Get4321.com, we'll Mm -hmm. put the link in the description of this video and audio, and then also on the alumni tab also. So once again, that is actually a combination of MG The Mortgage Guys, Volume 1, Volume 2, Home Buyers Blueprint. Mm -hmm. And the multifamily movement community, which, as he said, uh, includes, you know, uh, weekly calls and, you know, all of the things that you need to get up and running to actually have the confidence, the knowledge, the information and the support to actually, you know, not just purchase one home, but, you know. Become a real estate mogul. Yeah, why not? This is their purple tape.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) So the the
1: total, the tot, the whole combined, I believe it's a seventy seven percent off of the total. Yeah, value. Um, so it's a seventy seven percent off of the total value, and literally, honestly, because I'm familiar with both of the situations. There's nothing else that you really need in real estate, like especially if you doing the multifamily home. This is literally like the equivalent of going to college. There's no joke. I I mean,
0: there's no cap on that. Like, I really went through Matt's course, wrote the assessments for it, watched every video. It was incredible. Mm -hmm. Then I got to watch you guys, and I said, oh, this is it. Yeah. This is the game. Yeah, this is the game. One hundred percent. That's yeah. a tremendous disservice if you're not involved in it. So, yeah. congratulations on that. It's incredible.
2: Appreciate that. So, um, Matt and I, we've been running parallel paths for quite some time. He's helped about, uh, he's financed about half of the multifamily movement members um, through the Garland Group, and we said we just have to formalize this partnership. And so, we are committed to actually taking another three hundred people to the finish line this year in terms of multifamily real estate. And so, um, this is what the collaboration has come to. Um, get four, three, two, one is how you can get ten doors in four years using fha several times and running the plays that we tell you to run um if you follow the blueprint uh you can't go wrong and so um yeah we're excited about it um people are already getting wins inside of the program so uh we want to take as many people because it's not just about one property one property should get you to rent and mortgage freedom but we're trying to get you to full freedom and you're going to need multiple doors in order to get there yeah
1: and like i said real loud testimony matt personally told me he was like people in julian's program man <laughs> they, they flooding me they flooding me but like i said that's a good thing because that means that they're actually purchasing homes exactly. so if you want to take that next step and really you know get your freedom um highly highly suggest checking it out and like i say you know special offer for all the earners anybody that's interested anybody listening to this get 4321com appreciate that brother before you leave i got um uh, i got a few more questions. Uh, one in particular. So we had another gentleman on the podcast that, mm-hmm. you know, people may be familiar with, Grant Cardone. Mm-hmm. And he has an interesting philosophy where his thing is, um, rent where you live and invest in real estate. But where you live, rent that. Mm-hmm. How how do you feel about that?
2: Man, I've thought about that and um I don't agree. I don't agree. And that's okay. Um, Grant has a different perspective on real estate and money. Um, he uh, He's able to write off his lifestyle. Grant is an LLC. Not everybody is operating as an LLC. So he's able to expense everything that he does. So if he goes and stays for a $5,000 a night condo in Miami, he's able to write that off. The average person is not set up structurally or doesn't have the accounting team to ensure that that all gets written off. And so um, be careful uh, because the... These platitudes that people put out, if you don't know the back end in terms of how to actually execute it, it may not work for you. Look the same. Yeah, it ain't gonna look the same. <laughs> what I do know um, is that for multifamily real estate, if you are literally able to get rid of your housing expense for the rest of your life, it'll guarantee that you and your family are millionaires. Right? That's that's simple and plain. One thousand dollars a month, right? If you were able to save one thousand dollars a month and you were able to invest that at it just six percent annually for the next thirty years, that's one million. If we just did this one thing, I'm not asking you to pick the right crypto. I'm not asking you to go find the right NFT. I'm not even asking you to find the next company that's gonna break through in stocks. Just literally get rid of your housing expense. And that will ensure that your family become a millionaire so that's that's been the focus that's been my lane in this whole revolution and uh, i know that once people have that particular thing established then it frees them up to take advantage of all the other opportunities that are available
0: yeah when you were speaking about the the property earlier when you did the math and how it uh, equated to 1.5 yeah I'm thinking to myself is this the property he's talking about how you had a million dollars in real estate with by starting with ten thousand, it's the same situation. Same situation.
2: Same situation. Okay, got you. Same situation. It's nice. it just You have to run. The, it's knowing the numbers. Yeah. it's knowing the numbers. When you see that number, those numbers play out like that. It's just like, I'm everything I get. I'm dumping into it because this is an asset that is passive. Also, it's not like I created active business. Perhaps my daughter doesn't want to take over uh, this kind of business that I created over here. Perhaps she's not interested in that, but this can always be managed by a property manager that that takes six to ten percent of the rents forever.
1: Yeah, it's extremely important, especially the gentrification, because it's like so many different places you see. Like we was in L.A. Shout out to my boy Stick Watts. He took us to Watts, and I think it was the Jordan Down projects, like Grape Street. And uh, I was looking, and I'm like, this doesn't really look like how it looked before. You can still see that this projects but. There's also townhomes that's yeah. being built. Yeah. So yeah. what I found out is that they're actually in the transition, I believe, of tearing down the projects and turning them into townhomes. And townhomes actually look really nice. They look like state-of-the-art. Yeah. Like, they're, like, really dope. So he was telling me, like, yeah, you know, um, all of these are new, like, within the last couple of years. Yeah. So I say that to say, it, same story, no matter whether you're
0: in New you to York. that's tell the best part of that story. What? About, about who landed on the helicopter. <laughs> huh? He said, maybe he was like, yeah. Oh, Trump right Trump yeah Landed his helicopter Right in the middle Of the grounds Like
1: No but no That was where They built the um, Strip mall
0: Strip mall Right down the street
1: The strip mall Is where he landed The helicopter So
0: that was another thing So like yeah I guess
1: there was like Just vacant land And so Trump He said he came He landed a helicopter He was like yeah, it's pretty messed up, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he was like, "All right, what y'all need?" Da, 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 and then he left. So, long story short, I guess they got some government funds. So now they got a strip mall. They got a strip mall. Mm-hmm. They got um, luxury townhomes that's being built, and this is right next to, right it. Next to it. Jordan. For perspective, Jordan, if you heard of like Great Street, I'm pretty sure you heard of it. Pretty famous, uh, Minister Society. Mm-hmm. That's where Minister Society was filmed. Mm-hmm. So,
0: white man can't jump out of scene over. It's
1: um there. one of these things where gentrification. Always happens. It always happens. Yeah,
0: has gotta be you gotta have the vision to see it. You know what I'm saying? Like we see these things. Like yeah, I said, yeah. like people, most people say, Oh, there's a new Starbucks. Oh, there's a five luxury car dealerships. Wait, Chipotle's here. Wait, Kmart's gone. Yeah. They they put a golf shopping center. Like yeah, these are all signs that there's money. Tesla's now in your neighborhood. Right, right, Sound right. Familiar? <laughs> yeah. But let me let
2: me explain something really quickly. So um what we've been calling gentrification is actually colonization. Mm. So gentrification is actually a good thing. It is actually the upliftment of our communities. If you look at the dictionary definition, it's actually the upliftment of communities. So in Brooklyn, there is a block known as the greenest block in Brooklyn, right? These are all black owners. And because they decided to plant gardens in the where's, front. Where is that at? Um, I think on Macon Street in okay. Brooklyn, in Best Eye. Okay. So because they all decided to plant gardens, they collectively came together. We're going to plant gardens and we're going to all do the facades of our homes. Guess what? They all forced appreciation. Mm. Their equity all went up, but it's a block of all black owners. So they gentrified their own block. What we've been calling gentrification is actually colonization. And colonization is when outsiders come in and try to displace the natives of that neighborhood intentionally. So colonization is, it has a tinge to it, right? It has a negative history to it. But that's actually what has been occurring. When you have people come into um, the Shaw in D.C. And you have people complaining about the music that's been played in the Shaw for 30 years. Then that's colonization that is seeking to happen because you're trying to displace the culture that is there. So we need to call a spade a spade. Um, If it's colonization, it's colonization. But gentrification is actually the upliftment. I want the hood to look better. I don't want the hood to be the hood forever. I want everybody to have higher quality standard of living. And yes, there are some costs associated with that. The rents might actually have to increase for you to live in a decent way and so we all have to step our game up but um gentrification is not the negative thing it's the colonization and we just haven't been calling it so
0: gentrify your hood before those people do it claim eminent domain what have your people moving in. Yeah, facts that's a fact that's kind of what he was doing yeah
1: <laughs> well it's been a pleasure my brother Rich how can the people follow you social media handles uh, anything else that you want to leave before we head out
2: yeah so uh rentfree.com Rentfree.com. If you want to learn this game, you can go to rentfree.com. I'll show you how to finance, find, and finalize multifamily real estate deals so that you can close on your first property within the next year. There you have. What's your social media handle? It's Julian Gordon, J-U-L-L-I-E-N, Gordon, G-O-R-D-O-N.
1: Yes. And don't forget, uh, get4321.com. That is the special offer that him and our brother MG, the mortgage guy, have together. Call him the mortgage (laughs) guy. Everything, everything that you need to know to get up and running and um, get into this real estate game and really start to make some money. Uh, So that's a special offer: seventy-seven percent off the total value of the package. Mm. um, Strictly on that website. Only on that website. Um, So yeah, thank you for that. Appreciate it. And uh, thank you guys for rocking with you. Anything you want to say?
0: Liberation arts. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget that. Yeah, shout out to everybody on UIL University. Shout out to the merch team. Shout out to everybody on Patreon. This is a uh, this is one of those. I appreciate you coming, my brother. Long overdue. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: 100%. yeah, for sure. Thank you guys for rocking with us. We'll see you next week. Peace.
2: Peace. My graduates from my school, being Forbes backdrop.
1: drop, Bad drop. <laughs> <laughs> a Mic drop. Backdrop. drop, Bad drop.